This is Come Follow Me. We're a week ahead. So currently, so here's what we're doing. We've started the Savior's last week. So this current week of Come Follow Me is his triumphal. So coming to Jerusalem where we did Zacchaeus, and then his triumphal entry, he cleanses the temple, curses the fig tree. And then that's kind of Sunday and Monday. Tuesday, he spends the bulk of the day in the temple teaching. And he's going to take on the Pharisees. He's really just going to, I mean, he's quite harsh with them. He's just going to put them in their place. They're going to ask a whole bunch of questions. He answers their questions and asks them some questions. The Pharisees step down. The Sadducees step up, ask a question. He knocks it out of the park. The scribes step up. He knocks it out of the park every single time. So the, the tension is growing between those who hate him and Jesus. So he is basically done with them. He, we, now, we don't have any record of what happened on Wednesday. If you ask me, Wednesday was either all alone by himself in preparation or it was with the 12. But Thursday day is when he's in the temple and he's done with the Pharisees. That's his last public performance. He will no longer be in public teaching until his trial. One of the very last things he says, turn with me, let's, uh, let's do Matthew's account. One of the very last things he says as he's leaving on Tuesday to go out to be with his disciples. Go to Matthew chapter 23. One of his final prophecies. Uh, verse 29. Or 39, the last verse of 20. Oh, all right, I thought you guys were. I don't know why that disappears after the hymn. Okay, so here it is, the last verse of 23. What's the last public thing Jesus says to Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, those who had been contending against him? He says, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In other words, what was he basically saying? The next time you see me, I will be coming down in the clouds of glory. A clear reference to the second coming. You will see me coming in the clouds of glory. Now, as they're walking out, so they're leaving the temple, as they pass the temple, Look at verse 1 of chapter 24. Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple, the massive stones. And Jesus said, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So the next time you see me will be in the clouds of glory, and this temple is coming down. Then they left, and they went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus and his disciples, Tuesday night. Now that's this week's Come Follow Me. And it is where the Latter-day Saints step up and say to the world, can we tell you what happened on that mountain when he taught that night? They asked two questions. What do you think the two questions are going to be? When will the temple be destroyed? And when's the second coming? Now, how many times was Jesus asked about his second coming and he doesn't answer? 
Do you remember section 131? Joseph says, I was praying to know the, the second coming, and the Lord said, if you live to be the age of 85, you'll see the face of the sun. Joseph says, I don't know what that means, but I don't think it, it was clear. The Lord was saying what? Stop asking. I'm not going to tell you about the second coming. In Acts chapter one, when they say, Lord, are you now going to set up the kingdom? No, that, uh, we're not going to talk about that. How many times does Jesus not talk about the second coming? In fact, what does he usually say? No one knows. This is the one time he was asked and he answered. You want to know about the second coming? I will tell you about the second coming. And maybe the reason there's no scripture from Wednesday is it, it went all the way into the next day. But today, next week's Come Follow Me is the Savior's answer to the two questions. When will the temple be destroyed? And tell us about the second coming. Now, every Latter-day Saint should perk up and say, he's talking about us. Next week's Come Follow Me are the Savior's prophecies of our day in the New Testament. But we're not going to read the New Testament, are we? The next chapter, what chapter is this? This is Matthew 24. Joseph Smith rewrote Matthew 24. There are only two canonized Joseph Smith changes. Everything else we put in the footnotes or in the appendix as helps and suggestions. But there are two canonized Joseph Smith changes. Can you name them? Joseph Smith Matthew is the canonized, is the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew 24. Now I'm going to write that in the board because that's going to be very, very important in a moment. Joseph Smith Matthew is the Joseph Smith change and the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew 24. What's the other canonized JST? The book of Moses, which is the JST of Genesis 1 through 6. So Genesis 1 through 6 is in the scriptures. The Joseph Smith translation is in the scriptures as the book of Moses. Joseph Smith's changes to Matthew 24 are in the scriptures as Joseph Smith Matthew. So that's where we're going to go. Turn to your pearl of great price. Next week, we don't study the New Testament as much as we study the pearl of great price. Now we'll come back to Matthew but we're going to start in Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith Matthew. So Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith Matthew. All right, let's go to verse 4. So verse 1 is the last verse of uh, 23. Yes. You know, notice how Joseph ends it? He pulls in that last verse of 23 as if to say what? This is the context. The context in which they ask the questions is, oh, he's coming in the clouds of glory. So verse 4, do you see the two questions in verse 4? What are the two questions? All right, let me mark them. Question, no, it's in, they're, they're, both of them are two-part questions, right? So here's the first question. Tell us when these things shall be which thou hast said concerning the destruction of the temple and the Jews. 
There's question number one. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? Now, you and I can answer that question, right? 70 AD, Roman Titus, the Roman Emperor Titus came in and slaughtered the Jews, destroyed the temple. There has not been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD. The, the Romans came in and destroyed it. Now, what's the next question? Question number two is, what is the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Tell us about the second coming. And Jesus is going to talk in great detail about the day in which you live. Now, verses from the rest of verse 4. So verse 5 through verse 21. The, the semicolon in verse 21 is where he splits. So given the fact that we know all about the, Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem, how about we not even go there and we focus on our day? So notice in verse 21, at the semicolon is where it splits. And these things I have spoken unto you concerning the Jews, semicolon. Now he starts our day. Jesus talking second coming. Now I'm going to make an assumption. I don't know if it's right. I think it's a pretty good assumption. You tell me if you disagree with my assumption. Is it reasonable that the first thing out of his mouth is his biggest concern? If I were to ask you, what did you like about the movie? Isn't it reasonable that the first thing out of your mouth would be the thing you liked best? That you would give them in the order you liked them? And if someone's going to say, what are your concerns about the latter days? He will give them in the order. If that's true, what is the Savior's Number one concern about the days in which you live. F fooled by an imitation. His biggest concern about your lives, about your world, the world in which you live, is fooled by an imitation. In fact, who does he say is going to be fooled? The very elect are going to be fooled by an imitation. And it's happening all around us. People are fooled by an imitation happiness. That becomes a major theme in the scriptures. Lehi has a dream. And over here we have the tree. And over here we have the fake tree. The imitation tree. The fake happiness, and people are fooled by that fake happiness, right? The building represents everything people are fooled into thinking will make them happy. And that's the Savior's biggest concern, is that we are being fooled by imitation plans of salvation, Christ's churches and prophets. Are you being fooled by an imitation? Now, remember how Nephi saw our day. Nephi also saw our day. He wasn't allowed to write about it, but he was allowed to make comments about it. Let me show you a couple imitations that are fooling the very elect. Turn to 1 Nephi chapter 22. Nephi, who saw our day and can't write about it because John's going to write about it. Remember that? You won't write it, Nephi. John's going to write it. But he throws in some commentary. 
I love 1 Nephi 21 because Nephi is commenting on what he says without really talking about it. For example, I love verse 13. Nephi was surprised by the end of the world. Don't we all think that the, the, the end is that good conquers evil? Isn't that how we always think the world's going to end? All the superheroes, the good guys always beat the bad guys in the end, right? There was a moment where we were about to lose hope and then the good guys come back and beat the bad guys. That's not how the world ends. Nephi saw it. Look at verse 13. How does the world end? Good does not beat evil. What happens? First, 1 Nephi 22 verse 13. It's not that good beats evil, it's evil destroys evil. Destroys evil. That's how the world's going to end. Evil will destroy evil. Look at 17, 18, 19, and 20. Nephi's saying, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can't tell you the events, but one thing I can say is... The righteous don't need to be... I've seen it, guys. I've seen it. Can't tell you what's going to happen, but don't worry. You're going to be just fine. The righteous will be just fine. I've seen it. But go to verse 23. Nephi, who saw our day, remember, the Savior's number one concern is fooled by imitation. And Nephi sees three, or no, five false churches in our day. Do you see the connection? The Savior's saying, hey, I'm so worried that the elect are going to be fooled by an imitation happiness. And Nephi says, here's the five most deceptive false churches. What's the first one? First Nephi 22, 23. What's the first church Nephi sees in our day that's deceiving the very elect? The church of getting gain. The false Christs of getting gain. The false Messiah. Are there people that think Jesus is... no? Are there people who are fooled into thinking their money is their savior? Are there members of the covenant that have been fooled into thinking that money is their savior? And they rely on their money to solve their problems, not their Messiah. They are fooled by an imitation. Would you agree that today the very elect, some of the very elect have been deceived? What's the second one? Name another one. The church of power over the flesh. Boy, I'd love to have an hour to talk about that one. I think he's talking about addiction. I think the one false church, the one secret combination Jesus has called out in our day, word of wisdom. Do you know why there's a word of wisdom? False secret combinations will use addiction to control us. How many people think an addiction is the solution to their problems? Why do people drink? The very thing that the Messiah should do, right? They are looking for a Messiah in a bottle of alcohol. Do you see fooled by the imitation? Do you see false Christ in that? Power over the flesh. What's another one? What's the third one? The church of what people think about me. 
When you were in high school, how important was what people thought to some others? It controlled them, didn't they? It was their Messiah. Being popular was their Messiah instead of Jesus. Fourth one. Oh, there's a deceptive one. The Messiah of the flesh. The pleasures of the flesh are some people's Messiah. And they have been fooled. And they are slaves. And some of the very elect have been deceived. Do you see what Jesus saw? Are you seeing a pattern in what Nephi saw and Jesus saw? That the biggest problem in our day is being fooled into thinking something will make you happy. That won't. Can you name some others? that are fooling good Latter-day Saints into thinking this will make them happy. Money, power, addiction, popularity, lust. Describes our day, doesn't it? So there's concern number one. From the Savior's own mouth, his biggest concern is don't be fooled. I love that in the book of Revelation, there's two women. One woman represents the church of God, and she has a cup in her hand. And in that cup is wine, the wine of the sacrament. Then there's another woman who's the prostitute, the harlot, the false church. She also has a cup in her hand with also wine in it, but her wine is intoxicating. The wine of the false churches of our day is intoxicating. And many people of the covenant are walking away because they're fooled by a happiness that won't make them happy. How accurate was Jesus? Okay, we won't do doom and gloom. We're going to do happy. We're going to do solution. We're going to focus on solution, not doom and gloom. So what's the solution? But let's go back to the Pearl of, or go back to Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith. Matthew, what would be next? I'm going to pull up. I don't need to zoom in anymore, so let me pull this one up. All right, let's do Pearl of Great Price, Joseph Smith, Matthew. Okay, so starting in verse, so there's the red. There's concern number one. Don't be fooled by false Christs. Um, You know what? I always like to say this. Can I have someone... Read this. James, can you see that well enough to read it? This is Bruce R. McConkie. The promise of false Christ who will deceive, if it were possible, even the very elect, who will lead astray those who have made made eternal covenants with the Lord, is far more subtle than the insidious evil. A false Christ is not a person. It is a false system of worship, a false church, a false cult that says, Lo, here is salvation. Here's the doctrine of Christ. Come and believe thus and so, and ye shall be saved. It is a concept, it is any concept or philosophy that says that redemption, salvation, sanctification, justification, and all of the promised rewards can be gained 
in any other way except that set forth by the apostles. Don't be fooled by the imitation. All right, now look at 23 and 28 and 29. 23, 28, and 29. What's the next concern he lists? War. He next says, look, you want to talk about the latter days? We need to talk about war. Now, again, I'd love to take an hour on that because I think the Book of Mormon has some tremendous insights. I think the days before his first coming in the Book of Mormon are a pattern of our days before the second coming. And the wars of those days, I think, are describing the wars of our day. But we'll save that for another day. I want to get to solutions, not problems. So, false Christs, war, and then what does he mention at the end of 29? So, natural disasters. So, the end of the world is going to be full of natural disasters like pandemics and fires and a lot of things that we see every day in our lives, right? And then number four, the one that we would probably list first, that he lists fourth. What's the fourth thing he mentions? Living in the latter days will bring, you will have to deal with wickedness. Right? We have seen tremendous wickedness in our day. Those are his concerns. Don't be fooled by an imitation. You're going to have to deal with war, natural disasters, and wickedness. Now, you know the Savior. He's never going to say, there's the problems without saying what? Let me give you the solutions. Let's talk solutions. And you know the gospel is simply beautiful and beautifully simple. How long is the list going to be? How long is his list of solutions going to be, do you suppose? Big, long, complicated list? No. How many? Two. Now, to be fair, number two has three on it. But Jesus, in the next few verses, is going to say, let me give you the solutions. If you do these, you will live peacefully. You will survive the latter days just fine. Here's the solution. And so I read the whole rest of this looking for, therefore do this, therefore do this. And I only find two. Number one is in verse 37. He simply says, what's the solution? What's the antidote? How do I make sure I'm not fooled by imitations? I'm not overcome by wars. That I'm protected from natural disasters like famines. I know when there's going to be seven good years and seven bad years. How am I going to be protected from the wickedness? Number one, what does he say? Treasure up my word. And I love, what does he add? You won't be deceived. So simple, right? Treasure up my word. Now we could have an hour, we could have hours of discussion about that, right? What does that mean? Does that include scripture? Does that include personal revelation? Does that include temples and prophets and prophecy? 
Is the prophet involved in that? General conference? Boy, that, all of that is wrapped up into one little sentence. Treasure up my word and you won't be deceived. What has President Nelson been saying from the beginning of his presidency? If you don't know how to, what does he say? If you don't know how to receive revelation, you will not succeed in the days ahead. And there it is. Where do you think he got that from? Same source. It's so simple. Rod, tree of life, all the images are coming together. Treasure up my word and you won't be deceived. It's the single greatest antidote to surviving the latter days. Treasure up my word. That's it. Number two. As I scroll through all of these, none of these are do this and you'll be fine until you get down to verse 48. And what does he say? Be ready. Why does he not tell us when he's coming? Have you ever thought about that? Why does he not tell us what year? What would we all do if he told us the year? Does he know the year he's coming? He clearly does. So why not tell us when he's coming? It's brilliant philosophy. Why not tell us when he's coming? We would sit around and we would get ready, right? But what does he know about surviving the latter days? The best way to survive the latter days is to always be ready. <laughs> I missed it, man. If you are always ready, if I am ready for him to come right now, the very things that make me ready for him to come are the very things that will help me survive the latter days. So the simple philosophy is I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming so that you are always ready. I should assume he's coming today, tomorrow. I need to be ready. He simply says, you want to survive the latter days, treasure up my words and be ready. That's it. I read a talk once about the second coming. It was by one of the apostles. I don't remember which one now. But he said, you know, if you knew that the second coming was happening yet tomorrow, how would you live today? And he says, okay, you live, you know, a perfect life. And he says, not a perfect life, but you know, he would right. be really good. And he says, then why don't you just live like that every day? And it was really cool to ponder that, you know, why can't we just live like that every day? Why can't we just always think about it could be tomorrow, then why can't I just be righteous today? And the second half of that is doing that is the very best way to survive the latter days. That's the point. To live like you're ready for him to come is the very best way to live in the latter days. You will survive all of these things. You won't be fooled by the imitations if you're living ready for him. So clearly this is going to take, this is going to need some explanation, right? But that's it. Those are the two things I can find in his whole explanation. Here's the problem. Here's the day in which you're going to live. And this is hard to live with, especially when I watch so many people. I love being fooled by happinesses that won't make them happy. So what's the solution? Treasure up his word and be ready. But now he's going to explain this. And he's going to explain it in the context of when I come, 
This is what I want to find you doing. This is what it means to be ready. This is what I want to find you doing. Now notice what happens. It ends, right? He, he opens up the category, says, this is what I want to find you doing, and the chapter ends. So where is the answer? Where is the list of things he wants to find me doing? Matthew 25. Do you see it? No one makes that connection. No one makes the connection that Matthew 25 is the Savior's list of what he wants to find us doing. This is what it means to be ready. Matthew 25 is his answer. This is what I want to find you do. If you were to pick one thing that you want Jesus to find you doing, what would it be? Let's go find it. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. Now tell me what you find in Matthew 25. It's simply a chapter of three parables. Three parables explaining this is what it means to be ready. I guarantee it's going to be in one of these three parables. Ready? The answer, every, every one of our answers is going to be in one of these three parables. Parable number one, in answer to the question, this is what I want to find you doing, what's the first parable? Ten virgins. And what's the whole point? When I come, there needs to be oil in your vessel. When I come, there needs to be oil in your vessel. If you have oil in your vessel, you're ready for me. If you don't have oil in your vessel, you're not ready for me. Wouldn't it be nice if he explained what that meant? He did. Turn to section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants section 45. Now, this is the, the thing I want to point about about section 45. So everyone go to 45. Notice what is 45. Look at verse 16. What's the setting of section 45? Look at verse 16. James read 16. What's the setting of section 45? And I will show it plainly as I showed unto my disciples, as I stood before them in the flesh and spake of them, saying... In other words, what's he quoting? The night I was with them on the Mount of Olives, the night we were talking about my second coming, that's the context of section 45. The night I was revealing Joseph Smith Matthew. And so are you going to be surprised that he's going to answer 10 virgins parable in section 45? Do you see the connection? Section 45 is about the same subject. And so jump down to verse 56 and 57. Who wants to read? Section 56, or section 45, 56, and 57. And at that day when I, uh, I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth, and that have taken the Holy Spirit for their, for their guide, and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and, be ca and cast into the fire, but shall abide. So what does it mean to have oil in your vessel? 
You know how to receive truth. You know how to receive the Holy Ghost. You know and have truth in your soul. You know how to receive revelation. Kind of a repeat of this one. So the first thing I want to find is I want to find that you know how to take the Holy Ghost for your guide. The people who are ready are following the Holy Ghost in their life. In little things, everyday things. You're ready if you're listening to the Holy Ghost. And notice the connection. Again, we're going to go back to number one. If you have the Holy Ghost, what's the connection? All these things are tied together. In, if you have the Holy Ghost, then you won't be deceived. James? I just have a conversation with my brother, and I think the important thing is like, you know, following the Spirit in everyday things um, and as their guide. And I think sometimes we go like, well, I'm not going to do anything until I feel prompted to do something. When I think it's, you know, when it, it's active moving. And like, you know, I think treasure up my word, you know, we go into the parable of the talents a little bit, and it's like, do something with it. Yeah. Like, be using it. Like, what good is a hammer that's not being used? Notice the language here. It's not that they have the Holy Ghost. It's that they've taken the Holy Ghost for their guide. I know how to be guided by the Holy Ghost. I am doing that today. There is no greater preparation for his second coming than to know how to receive promptings from the Holy Ghost. Now, in the next hour, we're going to have, I teach another class called Hear Him. And what we're going to do today is talk about all the many ways the Holy Ghost speaks to us. And what I love to do is just list all of the ways the Holy Ghost speaks to us, the ways, all the ways I can find in the scriptures. And people just go, I had no idea. I'm being led by the Holy Ghost far more than I think I am. Do you know what are promptings and what aren't? Is that a focus of your life? Are you asking yourself those questions? Do you think about that? Are you taking the Holy Ghost for your guide? If you are, you're ready for him to come. And if you're ready for him to come, nothing's coming that you're also not ready for. That is the very best way to succeed in our day, is learn how to take the Holy Ghost as your guide. Okay, what's the second parable? The talents. Now, <clears throat> Someone would say, you know, if, if Jesus were to come today, I'd want to be on a mission. Wouldn't you love to be a missionary when Jesus comes? Why? I want to be found building his kingdom. So the whole point of the parable, I'm going to break the parable of the talents into two pieces. And another day we'll talk more about number three. But he gives someone five talents, meaning five sums of money. A talent wasn't an ability. You get to sing and you're really good at math and you can play chess. No, 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 no. A talent was a sum of money. Here's a lot of money. Go build my kingdom. And he took five and came back with 10. So what did he do? He built the kingdom. What do you want Jesus to find you do? doing? Building the kingdom. If you are actively building the kingdom, you are ready for him to come. So what about the guy who got two? He brought back 
four. Now, in one sense, you could say he's a loser because his best was four and this guy's best was 10. And yet the Lord says what? He gets the same reward. If you have more, I expect more from you. But those who have less get the same blessing if they do their best. You build the kingdom however you can. Some of you can bring in five talents. Great, go do it. Some of you can bring in one. Great, go do it. You'll get the same reward. Are you building the kingdom within your talent set? Because the one who brought back two and had four got the same reward as the one who had five and brought back five. So number two, to be ready, build his kingdom. Build his kingdom. Be found building his kingdom. I'd love to be teaching an institute class when he comes. I'd love to say, guys, we got to stop. Jesus is here. And I would love my class to say, oh, all right. I'd love to be on a mission. I'd love to be in church. I'd love to be building his kingdom. Therefore, what is the best preparation for the latter days? Have the Holy Ghost and build his kingdom. Now, just a note about the other guy. Tell me about the guy who got one talent. He, why? I don't want to go back with nothing, right? So I'm going to hold on to what I have rather than risk losing it. In other words, I'm so afraid of failing, I won't try. That is the exact opposite attitude of success in the latter days. Let's be honest. Why is it that some people won't go on a mission? I might fail. I don't know how to talk to people and I might be lousy at it. I'm uncomfortable. In other words, I'm so afraid of failing that I won't try. And Jesus says, you know what? You want to be successful in the latter days? Be the kind of person that would rather fail than not try. Can I give you a silly example? Dating. I can't tell you how many times someone said, oh, I would love to go out with her. Ask her out. No, I wouldn't dare. Why? Why not ask her out? Because she might say no. She might say no. She's out of my league. She might laugh. Okay. So she laughed. How is my life horrible now? Now I know. But so many people are so afraid to fail that what? They don't even try. How about taking that one class? Oh, I don't want to get an F. I'd rather not get an F on a hard class, so I'm just going to take this easy class. And the Lord says, no, you want, succeed? You want to be a success in the latter days? That is not the attitude. The attitude of being ready for Jesus is, I would rather be a person who tried and failed than a person who didn't try. That's the attitude of success in the latter days. Oh, I just was gonna like 
I know that there's obviously like big differences in like the story of the ten virgins and then this one because I don't know. I just was thinking about like why in the story of like the ten virgins where Christ was like, no, don't share your oil, but then like in this one, he's like, I don't know, he's like, don't hide. Yeah, and he'll don't go too far with parables. What's the gist of what he's trying to say? And that's the meaning. We, don't, we ought not to push the parables too far. The reason I can't share, the reason the, the virgins couldn't share is, can I share that with you? If I've taken the Holy Ghost as my guide, can I give that to you? I can't. But be careful not to take it too far. So, number one, take the Holy Ghost as your guide. You will be successful in the latter days if you know how to follow the Holy Ghost. Number two, build his kingdom. Take an institute class. Go on a mission. Do family history work. Build his kingdom. There is no greater preparation for living in the latter days than building his kingdom. And don't be afraid to try. Don't be the kind of person that I would rather not do anything because I might fail. Be that person that says, I will try. I want to try. You can see the, those connections. That's a be- beautiful clarification. One has a boundary, and the other, um, it's like timing difference, I guess. Good. I like that. Let's do one more. We have time for the last one. What's the last parable? And probably the most important of all the parables. If you want to be prepared for his coming, then do what? What kind of people should you be? There is no greater preparation for the second coming. There's no greater secret sauce for living in the second coming. You want to live successfully in the latter days, be what kind of people? Of I was hungered and you gave me meat. Thirsty and you gave me drink. Naked and you clothed me. Sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And the righteous will say, Lord, I, I lived in 2023. I never fed you, would love to have fed you, but I never fed you. Do you remember when you fed him? Yeah, that was me. Do you remember when you clothed her? Yeah, that was me. And the ones he rejects are going to say, Lord, I would have fed you. Believe me, I would have fed you. If you had come a knocking, I would have fed you. And Jesus is going to say, well, he came knocking. He needed your help and you didn't help. That was me. That was me. The gospel is so simple. You want to be prepared for the second coming? Do what? Take care of his children. Just take care of his children. If I could pick one day of my life and go back and say, I wish Jesus had come on that day. Can I tell you what day I'd pick? I went on a mission to Mexico City and I got to serve in Acapulco. 
It was a rough place for missionaries, beautiful for tourists, but rough place for missionaries. And when I got there, we heard word of a woman that was inactive. We never saw her at church, but we heard her name frequently. She had been a prominent member of the ward and she didn't go anymore. And then we wanted to know why she wasn't going anymore. So she, we went and found her. She was a tough woman. She owned a radiator repair shop. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. This woman repaired radiators. And we got to know her. We bonded with her. And it became pretty obvious why she wasn't going to church anymore. Her husband was in prison. Never found out why. But her husband was in prison and she was ashamed. So my companion and I said, could you arrange for us to visit him? I'll never forget the look on her face. You want to visit my husband? Yes, very much so. Could you arrange it? Yeah. I went to a Mexican prison. El Guero. Americans were not well liked by police officers. And I went to a Mexican prison. I honestly didn't know if I was getting out. I had to leave my shoelaces and my belt at the door. And we met with her husband. And I will never forget the look on her face as we met with her husband and talked and read scriptures and sang primary songs and had a marvelous visit. Took a picture, got on a bus and went home. That's the day. I wish Jesus had come on that day. I wanna be found in a prison visiting someone who needed a visit. I want to be found taking food to someone who needs food. I want to be found taking care of someone who's hurting. Say what you want. Preparation for the second coming is really simple. Holy Ghost, build the kingdom. Don't be afraid to try and love people. That's it. There is no more complicated list. You want to succeed in the day in which you were born with all the challenges we face. Go visit someone who needs you. Take care of people. Build his kingdom and get the Holy Ghost. It is my solemn testimony that that is the simple solution. Be ready. Today, tomorrow, not because I have a hundred years worth of food storage. I think food storage is great, but I would rather be the person out visiting the sick than the person who has gobs of food storage in my house. I would rather be the person who's taking care of his children. That's how you succeed in the latter days. Of that, I testify. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.